1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. Only three verses today. And also Luke chapter 11, we're going to be taking a side trip too. Let me just read it for you first. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16 begins, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You guys ever wonder what the will of God is for you? Raise your hand if you've ever said anything like this to God. Lord, should I marry this person or that person? Okay, you, you don't have to do them individually. Wait till the end. Wait till the end. Or if I've said, Lord, should I take this job? Especially if you're looking at your spouse right now. Maybe you've said, Lord, should I take this job or not? Should I quit this job or not? Lord, should I go to church here? Well, if you're visiting today, I think I heard him. He said yes. No. Um, wouldn't it be great if God would take his giant hand and drop it through the clouds and point to the house you're supposed to buy or to the job you're supposed to take? Or if when you met your future spouse, he actually played the theme from Love Story behind her? Some people spend way too much time looking for signs for God's will. You guys heard about the guy that was on the diet? He comes to his office holding this giant coffee cake. He's on a diet. His coworkers are like, what's up with that? He said, well, I asked the Lord if I should continue on the diet. And this morning I was driving by the bakery and it smelled so good. So I said, Lord, if you want me to stop at the bakery... Just let there be a parking spot available. And on the eighth time, sure enough, there it was. How can we know the will of God? Well, if you're wondering how you can know the will of God, you are so lucky today because this is what we're talking about. We've come to a spot that speaks directly, unequivocally, about the will of God for you. It says, look at it again, verse 16, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This couldn't be any plainer. God's will for you, if you're a Christian, is spelled out right here. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Now, I, I do need to point out right here that this is only applicable if you're a Christian. It says, if you are in Christ Jesus. In fact, if you don't have a relationship with him, these commands really become absurd. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. These things become absurd, frustrating, and impossible for the one who doesn't know Jesus. But if you do have a relationship with him, then following these commands will find you firmly, securely in the will of God, no matter what you face. We've come to the ending verses here in 1 Thessalonians. And we have here in strong, plain language, a series of commands that also form a promise. Basically, if you do these things, you will be in the will of God. Let me read it again. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, you're thinking, well, that's nice. I mean... But I need to know God's specific will. I specifically need to know about this job or this relationship. You're saying to me, I need specific 
answers. Well, I have some verses that will help you. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. True, these are not specific answers. But what we have here is three commands that are instead specific actions that deal with specific attitudes in us that God wants us to have. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all the other stuff will be added unto you. Now, he doesn't necessarily mean cars and boats, but he means all that you need will be added to you if you'll seek him. If you and I will get our priorities right, if we will improve our relationship with the very God who has the answers, then all the answers that we ever need will become obvious to us with no question marks attached. See, God's will for you is not supposed to be a big mystery. As you get to know someone, you just know what their will is. If you were to ask the people that know me, say, hey, I've got this idea. Do you think Doug would just love a week-long camping trip deep in the forest with no amenities? Those of you who know me would say, no. The people who know me would say, uh, Doug's a wimp. Uh, he's not really much of a camper. If you ask the people that know me, they wouldn't say, hmm, I wonder. Let's. Let's pitch a tent in front of the Y, and if it rains on the tent, then we'll know he wants to, doesn't want to go. If it doesn't rain, we'll know he wants to go. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. The people that know me would already know, and the people who sort of know me, who know me at least a little bit, at the very least would just come and ask me. Knowing Doug's will comes from knowing Doug. Knowing God's will comes from knowing God. So you guys ready to begin? Let's look at, let's dig into this. Verse 16 says, rejoice always. If you're looking for a memory verse, this is a quick one. Wow. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 16, rejoice always. Got it. The word is, I'm not sure if I should even try to pronounce it. It's C-H-A-I-R-O. Chiro, maybe. It means to, to rejoice, to be glad, to rejoice exceedingly. Now, first thing to remember is that this is a command. A command? Rejoice always. That strikes us as a little odd, doesn't it? A command to rejoice? uh, That's like, get happy, and that's an order. And then to make it even more interesting, the command is attached with it, rejoice always. So, at first glance, this looks like God is saying to us this morning, get happy, be happy always, and that's an order. Well, not exactly. Most of you know, maybe some of you don't. There's a difference between joy and happiness. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances, right? You get a new car, I'm happy. You get a a new job, I'm happy. You get a new house, I'm happy. Then the house starts to fall apart, I'm not so happy. The job starts to become what you didn't know it was, not so happy. Joy, on the other hand, transcends our circumstances, right? When, you're, when your new boss is a jerk, it's only joy that will work. You can't be happy, 
right? I'm not happy that my new boss is a jerk, but I can still have joy. Joy is the thing that you see at funerals. We've talked about this recently from Christians. You see they're, they're crying, yet they have this, it's even beyond peace, it's joy. Does this verse sound familiar? Tell me if this verse sounds familiar. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. You know who wrote those words? Paul. You know where he was when he wrote those words? In prison. In a Roman prison. Paul says, to the, he writes to the Philippians, he says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. And if you could look at it and have a camera there, he's like he's in a prison, probably chained between two guys. And he's saying rejoice. And it was in Philippi. If you've been with us, you know that Paul and Silas is where they were beaten with rods. Thrown into the dungeon, the darkest part of the dungeon, at midnight. And they're praising, right? Singing praise songs. That's when the, the, the earthquake came. I think maybe God was tapping his foot. <laughs> Paul practices what he preaches here. He says rejoice always. I mean, he did. It's, it's interesting to me that this is a command and that the word is rejoice. I mean, we use a prefix re to say do it again. Refuel. Reiterate. Reinvent. This seems to indicate that joy is like a prescription that needs to be refilled. And remember, it is a command, meaning to at least some degree, it's an act of the will. It's a decision that you make. Will you let your circumstances determine your attitude? Or will you determine your attitude in the midst of your circumstances? You say, okay, okay, all right, I give. But how am I supposed to go about this rejoicing? Or maybe you're thinking, what do I have to rejoice over? I mean, you don't know my life. Well, I'm pretty sure that the Thessalonians, the guys that Paul was writing to, had it as least as bad as you have it. These guys were persecuted all the time. The church began in persecution. Paul was ridden out of town after three weeks because of the persecution. And Paul says to these guys, rejoice. Now, what are some practical things that you can rejoice over? I can think of three things. Your past, your present, and your future. If you're a Christian, again, I'm only speaking to Christians here. If you're a Christian, you can rejoice over your past, right? You can rejoice that your sin is completely forgiven, forgotten. The Bible says that it is thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. That's your past. You can be thankful. You can rejoice over that. And you can rejoice about your future in heaven. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said something shocking. Right after the Beatitudes, which are all about happy, right? Right after... He finishes with these Beatitudes. He says, blessed are, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And then at the end of all that, he said what should be probably considered the anthem for this Thessalonian church, which is, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. Blessed. Happy. And say, when they say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. He says, rejoice when that happens and be exceedingly glad. The same word, rejoice. And why? Well, here's, he finishes it by saying, for great is your reward in heaven. We can rejoice because our past is forgotten, because it's removed. But we can also rejoice because our present 
our, excuse me, our future is going to be rewarded. Okay, but you're thinking, well, okay, but really, what about the present? That's what I'm most concerned about. What about the present? How do we rejoice in the present? Well, I think I have a guaranteed way for us, for you, for me, to rejoice in the present. That is to rejoice in his presence. 16th Psalm, David wrote, verse 11, You will show me, he's speaking to God, he's saying, You will show me the path of life in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. You guys hear that? It's in his presence there is fullness of joy. The key, the very key to finding joy in whatever your circumstance this morning Here it is, his presence. You're not alone. Joy comes from knowing you're not going through this alone. Jesus said, John 16, verse 33, in the world you will have tribulation. Tribulation means trouble. Jesus pretty much guaranteed it. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Matthew 28, Jesus said, I am with you always. Hebrews 13, Jesus is quoted as saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do we really get that? Do we really understand that Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you? Jesus is the one who conquered death. Jesus kicked death's teeth in. And he promises to be with you. It's like having a a big brother who can whip any kid in town. You have, the Bible says, a friend. If you're a Christian, you have a friend that is closer than a brother. And he has already laid down his life for you. Is there anything that you face that he can't handle? Rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. The key to rejoicing in any circumstance, you could say, is to remind yourself that you have a wonderful friend who's closer than a brother, his wonderful abiding presence. Interesting, this is really interesting to me, the word rejoice, if you look through on the treasury of scripture knowledge, you see translated in a couple places where it means hail, H-I-A-L. It's a greeting given To a king. Let me say to you, if you're having trouble rejoicing this morning, greet your king. Come back into his presence. Invite him into your presence. Again, we know he never leaves nor forsakes, but we kind of leave him in our minds. Rejoice always, this verse says, because this is God's will for you. Let's move on. Verse 16 again. Rejoice always. Then it says, pray without ceasing. And you could say, for this also is the will of God for you. It is the will of God that you and I pray without ceasing. Really? I mean, without ceasing? I mean, I know some people who seem to talk without ceasing. But we're supposed to pray without ceasing? I mean, 
I thought I'd be doing pretty good to pray 30 minutes straight a day. I mean, what is, exactly does this mean? Well, it doesn't mean you can never sleep or eat because you have to have your mouth running all the time. One of the things that it means is, maybe perhaps the main thing that it means is, never give up praying. Turn with me to Luke chapter 11. And Jesus talked about this. He says, never give up praying. Look with me at Luke 11, verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. What's Jesus' point here? Persistence pays off. Let me, let me paint the picture in today's terms. Let's say you live in a really small home. So small that some of your five kids have to sleep with you in your bed. Let's say it's midnight. Let's say 45 minutes ago, your toddler kicked you in the head and said, Juby, 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 Juby. You mothers know that means juice, please. <laughs> and you tried to ignore it, ignore it, but Isaac just kept saying, oh, I'm sorry, uh, your, kid, your kid just kept saying, Juby, Juby. So finally, you, you, you give up and... Uh, you get your precious little one some juice. You get settled down. Just, just been drifting off about 10 or 15 minutes. Feels so great. And... For Pete's sake, who is it at midnight? And you hear me saying, hey, it's Doug. Hey, I hate to bother you, but um, see, I've got these friends and... I didn't really shop yesterday, and I should have had some food for them, and they're really hungry. I know it's midnight, but... And you're thinking, come on, it's midnight. Go away. Uh, look, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry to do this to you. I know it's really rude, but I'm not going to go away until you give me something. What are you going to do? If I'm persistent enough, you're going to be like, I can't believe I'm risking waking my kids up, but I'm going to get up out of my bed. Here, take whatever. Here, just let yourself out. And then you're going to go back to bed. Now, Jesus spoke these words before there were bedside telephones and you could call the police on me. <laughs> and the quickest way for you to get some sleep would be to get rid of me. Now, understand, Jesus is not comparing God to a sleeping man. No, he's contrasting God with this man. His point is, if persistence pays off with an earthly friend who sleeps, how much more will persistence in prayer pay, pay off with the heavenly father who says he never sleeps? Pray without ceasing means never give up. Pray. Stay with me now in Luke chapter 11. Continue on. Verse 9. Jesus says, So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. 
And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Look back at verse 9 with me. You may notice... You may already know this. The, the tense of the verbs in verse 9 makes it so that it actually literally reads this way. Ask and keep asking. Seek and keep seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Jesus says, keep at it. Don't give up praying. Sometimes we're so impatient with God. We throw up a prayer like it's a dollar in a vending machine. When God doesn't deliver immediately we begin to take things in our own hands. I'm afraid that there could be some in this very room who've ceased praying. Maybe you pray at church and you pray over your meals, but you don't have a prayer life. If that's you, I could pretty much tell you that you have no joy. What did we find out? In his presence, his fullness of joy. See, prayer is the vehicle that transports you instantly into the throne room of God. One more thing about this command, pray without ceasing. I was thinking about this. What is prayer? It's a conversation with God, right? And we, we look at this and we tend to think that this command is impossible to follow Because we think it means us talking to God all the time. But prayer is not a monologue. It's not supposed to be. Prayer is to be a dialogue. And let me ask you, whom do you think between you and God has the most to say? Whom do you think between you and God should be the one doing the most listening? My point is that listening is also prayer. I can't say that I have followed this command every day of my life. Near enough days in my life. There have been some days when I have walked through pretty much every circumstance and been listening. That's praying. Do you get it? And those, by the way, were the very best days of my life. And I need to do more of it. And I'm hoping you feel the same way. This week... I want to encourage you, pray without ceasing. When you have a question, a concern, a need, when you just want to say thank you, Lord, when you want to praise him, do it. But the rest of the time, pray by listening. Right now, as a matter of fact, some of you, hopefully all of you, are praying by listening to God. It just happens to be that you're listening and not talking. Let's go on. Verse 16, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Third thing, if you really want to be in the will of God, in everything, give thanks. Once again, this is not too bad until you put the qualifier in it. In everything? In everything, give thanks? I mean, sickness? Setbacks? Cancer? Well, we need to make sure we notice these words here. 
it says, give thanks in everything. That's a huge difference from give thanks for everything. When you hit your thumb with a hammer, you don't have to say, oh, thank you, Lord. Matter of fact, there are things that it would be ridiculous if you were thankful for. Hurricanes, earthquakes, terrorism. We are not to be thankful for any of these things. But it says we are to be thankful in all things. Okay, well, how do I do that? I mean, how can I possibly be thankful in my job loss? How can I possibly be thankful in the financial mess that I'm in? Or with the sickness that's in my family? There's only one way that I know that we can be thankful in all things. Write it down. Romans 8, verse 28. Some of you know it. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Did you hear that? All things. This is like a joyous song in the dark night. All things. That means good and bad things, highs and lows, joy and sorrow. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God takes all the stuff. Think about, okay, just think about the worst thing that's happening to you right now. Probably for most of us, like, oh, that was quick. <laughs> Hank's finger. He cut his finger yesterday. You can ask him, you know, put some love on him. <laughs> think about the stuff that happens to you, the worst thing that happens. And it says all things work together. It's like God is assembling from all the things that are happening to you, good and bad. God assembles them together in your life, it says, for your good. God has promised to do this for those of us who love him, who are called according to his purpose. For Christians, again, I'm speaking to Christians, we have this great promise. The bad thing in your life that you're thinking about right now, the thing that you thought you could not possibly be thankful for, you can be thankful in because you know that somehow God is going to use it mixed in with all the other stuff in your life. He's going to use it to assemble something wonderful, something beautiful in your life. But of course, this requires one thing. This verse only works if you trust Him. I mean, if you really think that he actually has your good in mind, then this verse works. It requires seeing things from God's perspective. And unfortunately, we don't see things from his perspective until a lot later. Some of you have heard this. In her book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom tells of an incident during her time in Ravensbrook. This was one of the worst concentration camps. She and her sister Betsy were held along with many other women in dreadful conditions. The barracks where they were sleeping were overcrowded beyond belief. They were filthy and flea infested. And Corey and Betsy, they were Christians. They held on to their faith. They read aloud from the Bible and they prayed. And they would encourage other women to join them. And one day they came upon these very verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 
Verse 16, they read these words, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Betsy then gave thanks for her crowded conditions. As since they were packed so close, so many women could hear the word of God. Then she also gave thanks for the fleas. And that was too much for Corey. She was astounded that Betsy could do this. She said, I refuse. I will not be thankful for fleas. But Betsy quoted, it says, give thanks in all circumstances. She pointed out to Corey that it did not say give thanks in pleasant circumstances. It was later that Corey found out the reason that the guards, who were so savage and brutal toward all the rest, never bothered their barracks was because of those fleas. It was the fleas. They, they, weren't, they went unharassed by, God, by the guards. They were able to study the Bible in a concentration camp without hindrance. Do you see that giving thanks is only possible if you trust him? If you trust him and his perspective? Here's my question. Do, do you, do we, do we trust him to work even in your current circumstances? Even in the worst thing that's happening to you right now, do you trust him to work it together for your good? If you do, you can be thankful in all things. So, what have we learned? The will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, for me. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Here's what it boils down to, if you really want to condense it. God's will for us is that we have a constant awareness of his presence. He says, rejoice always. In your presence is fullness of joy. You know what God's will is? Is that you're always aware that he's with you. Here's another thing that's in God's will. A constant dependence upon his power and his passion for you. Pray without ceasing. Jesus says, keep knocking and keep listening. Here's another thing that's in God's will. A constant trusting of him and his perspective. It's only by trusting him that we can be thankful in everything. Our whole life is set out before him like a scroll. And he is working all things together for your good. Let's boil it down even further. What are these three things? A constant awareness of his presence, a constant dependence upon his power and his passion for you, and a constant trusting of his, him and his perspective. If you boil it down even more, what are all those things? God's will is that he have a very tight, close-knit relationship with you. You ask God, what's your will for me? I want you to know me. I want you to know that I'm with you always. I want you to trust me. I want us to have a relationship. As we grow closer to him, we won't have these questions. I wonder what God's will is. It will begin to become very evident 
2,000 years ago, Jesus, who was God, who is God incarnate, was dying to have a relationship with you. And in another sense, he still is.